This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here and a new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. And today on the show I've got a great guest, Dick Huey, founder of Toolshed. Uh, who has worked with uh, a ton of amazing companies, including Beggars Group and consulted Spotify and uh, run lots of amazing campaigns. Hello, Dig. How are you, Andrew? Nice to, nice to meet you. Was I right with everything that I've mentioned so far about um, your past projects? I tried to keep it brief. Yes. Um, I, uh, I, I started out as a performer, um, the music business back in the I don't know late 80s guitar player and singer and from there went to being a manager managed a couple bands and one of them um, actually two of them were signed to the beggars uh, banquet label and through that I was able to come on board at beggars when their marketing guy quit in 1997 and take his position and then about a year after that um, jump into their new media department, which was just being formed at that point. And um, about five years later, I started Toolshed. So that's my background. Awesome. And uh, uh, there is also another project of yours that uh, you started recently called Syndicated Planet, correct? That's correct. That's right. And what is it, uh, if in short, because uh, we'll definitely cover Toolsheds and what you are doing there a bit later, but I'm just really curious to hear a bit more because the website doesn't feature a lot of information just yet. No, it doesn't. It's, um, well, it's, it's a relatively new venture. It's a venture that um, I'm, I'm doing uh, with a partner, Michael Hausman, who manages uh, Amy Mann and Suzanne Vega and several other artists. Um, the two of us have created this company an, um, really an idea generator um, and maybe more broadly an idea optimizer. So we're, we're taking ideas that both of us have had <clears throat> and that other people have and trying to move them to the next step. So usually this is, this is pre-company formation. You know, this is um, something like, oh, you know, I uh, happen to notice that it would be really great if, you know, that thing worked like this. Or if, you know, I was able to do this with my smartphone. Or um, why hasn't somebody created this? Um, so we've, we're taking ideas like those. Um, and we've got about 10 ideas we're sort of uh, looking through at the moment. And several that we're focusing on pretty hard. And uh, developing <clears throat> visual presentations of these ideas in some cases. Talking, um, talking with VCs in some cases. Between Michael and myself, we have you know a collective forty or fifty years in the music business. Michael's history is with the band Till Tuesday, uh, as mm -hmm. their drummer and and subsequently as their manager. And so between us, we know a lot of people, and we're excited about the opportunity to dig into some of these ideas that we think are good ideas and that we haven't seen anybody do. And that's mm -hmm. what Syndicated Planet is. So it's a it's a labor of love. Uh, and are you going to make it uh, public so others can actually submit it? Not maybe not through uh, an email, but through a special form, something like that. Maybe, yeah. It's um, we're we're relatively new. We've um, we've been doing this since about the start of this year, 2014. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> we want to develop a couple of the ideas that we've that we think are our strongest ones first, 
and see where we get to with those. And then once we've once we've ascertained, you know, the interest and whether we actually have good ideas or whether they're terrible ideas, <laughs> we're going to um, think about opening it up a little bit. But mm -hmm. I think for right now, we're just focused on a few ideas that we're doing. And, you know, if, if um, occasionally we get introduced to a new idea through an industry colleague when we explain what we're doing and, um, you know, we've looked into uh, one or two of those as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah um, it's... Yes, go on. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, that's uh, it. I mean, it's an interesting concept. I'll definitely keep an eye on it because, uh, well, there are interesting ideas sometimes and uh, you just don't know what to do with them. And oftentimes you are fine with giving them away, but you don't know uh, a, a good company to share them with. So if there is something solid, it's pretty interesting to have... Uh, a place like that for uh, for sharing them. So yeah, in any case, definitely we'll keep an eye on this. Thanks for sharing. And um, yeah, so uh, going back to tool sheds, um, any interesting projects you're working on right now that's uh, you'd like to mention? Well, <clears throat> we're all, I, I feel like we're always working on interesting projects. And maybe I could take a minute and just um, explain to your listeners what are, you know, why our company started, how we started, sort of what our thinking was behind it. So in 2001, when we started, or when I started Toolshed, there were very few other companies, there, actually I don't think there were any other companies who were exclusively focused on digital marketing. And the reason for that was, um, that the, number one, there was no money in it. Um, and those that were focused on it were largely focused on the major labels and on doing digital marketing for the major labels. So there really wasn't an independent solution. And from working at, at Beggars and running their media department for five years, I came out of that with a really good view of why a brand is important. And I decided <clears throat> right out of the box that I wanted Toolshed to be thought of as a brand and a brand that had meaning, not just a brand that worked with any project that came in the door, but the same way the beggars group of labels, 4AD, Excel, et cetera, have, um, have a vibe around them. I wanted our company to have that kind of a vibe. So, um, you know, we started out, um, our first couple projects were beggars projects. Um, the next label we brought on board was Kill Rockstars. And Kill Rockstars, you know, obviously, it, I mean, at that time, Slim Moon was running it, and it had a very, very um, specific client base and, and, you know, a very well-known sound. And we sort of stuck with that model. We, um, we, we, we went next to Righteous Babe. Um, and that's actually one of our current projects we're, we're, um, working right now on Ani DiFranco's next record. And we've been working with Ani since 2003. Mm -hmm. So we've tried to, we've tried to maintain long-term relationships with labels and with artists and, We've also, I mean, we our business model has changed over the years. But when we were much younger and we were the only company in the game, um, we really, we really were, you know, we were powering um, download portals for magazines like Pop Matters, um, uh, for um, KEXP up in Seattle, and um, and we were just putting all of our downloads in it, and there really was nobody else who was providing downloads. Mm -hmm. A big, I, I don't want to belabor this too much, but a big reason for that at the time was that 
serving downloads was really expensive. And we found um, through an employee that worked with me and a, and a friend at the time named Jeffrey Sparks, we found a very cheap way to serve MP3s. So we were able to take this idea of serving MP3s cheaply and use that as a leverage point to, to offer our marketing services to individual record labels um, and individual artists. We were able to say, you know, not only will we do your digital marketing for you, and most of these small independent labels didn't have any marketing at that point. They, they couldn't afford any. There was, there was no digital music market. There was no iTunes. Um, but we said, not only will, will we do your digital marketing, but we'll also serve your MP3s. Well, that was an advantage right there that we had. You know, we could come in and save a company three, four, five hundred dollars a month um, by, by taking over their download serving. And same for blogs. You know, in contrast to today, blogs were thrilled that there was a company out there who, was, who would provide them with deep links. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to host their own tracks. So... Anyway, getting back to your original question, yes, we still have we still have clients from back in the day, like Ani. Um, <clears throat> we're still working with uh, electronic musicians, um, such as the band Home Video, which just did a campaign for them not long ago, and MNDR, which I'd love to talk about later. And we continue to do our sort of focus on bands that are critically acclaimed and often from the 90s which reflects my age and my music interest but um, bands like uh, Adam Franklin from Swerve Driver whose record we did last year or Amy Ray who we're working with at the moment from Indigo Girls Um, Mm -hmm. so those are really our two sweet spots I'd say electronic music and uh, and, in you know many different forms and critically acclaimed singer-songwriters Got it. Yeah, and uh, it's really interesting about what you mentioned about how you started. Is it still a secret uh, with your solution of solving MP3s, by the way? No, it stopped being a secret <clears throat> when bandwidth became cheap. It was, um, and, and I won't claim credit for it, it was, it was Jeffrey's idea. He found a way, um, at, at that time, there were companies, um, there was one called PowWeb mm-hmm. that was offering serving accounts which had two gigabytes of throughput a day. Actually, I think it had one gigabyte when we started. So um, in order to get one of those accounts, you had to sign up and pay, I think it was 50 or $60 a year. Mm-hmm. So we purchased four accounts to start with. And um, initially, Jeffrey would manually switch our MP3s when we got close to our bandwidth usage. So in other words, we'd serve an MP3 and we'd give it to a couple bloggers and people would start downloading and we'd get close to our limit and then we'd get an email from that company saying, you're getting close to your one gigabyte limit for the day. And he would put a redirect on the link and go to a new account that we established. Mm -hmm. So for about three or $400, we were able to have, you know, 1.7 or eight different accounts and, you know, uh, it started out at one gigabyte per account, then it went to two gigabytes per account, then four. So we were able to get enough throughput in the day to offer this service to labels. And at, at one point, we <clears throat> created a script. Um, and this was more of a collaborative effort, but we created a script that randomized the choice of a server. So you'd make a request for a particular track, and behind the scenes, 
one of our eight accounts would serve the attract. And, um, you know, it wound up being randomized enough that uh, we generally wouldn't bump up against our upper limit. And if we ever did, we'd just open a new account. Mm-hmm. So, so we'd wind up, <laughs> we'd, wind, we'd wind up, it was a great idea. We'd wind up bringing in, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000, maybe more uh, a month in campaigns and paying per year three or $400. So the economics were really good. Great. Uh, even for me, it's something new, like hearing how, how this was solved before um, uh, top spin and the likes and even before uh, popular digital retailers. Awesome. Really interesting uh, concepts. And right now it's, it's a different place we are uh, it is <laughs> yeah and and before we go to some um, some practical questions and uh, some of the uh, marketing tips and tricks and maybe even some case studies how would you comment the current state of the music industry and uh, digital markets well so um, <clears throat> well, how would I comment I I've had the um, I've been in a fortunate position, I think, in the sense that I've been able to work with not only um, some incredible, many incredible independent artists, many incredible independent labels, but also some of the bigger um, tech companies. I don't know if you're aware that I did the digital licensing for Spotify mm-hmm. for their launch, um, that for um, when they were looking to acquire independent content for their launch in the United States. And that gave me a good perspective on the other side of the of the coin, um, if you will. Um, but um, now, um, two, two, two and a half years after that, that engagement, which was just a short-term consulting engagement, mm-hmm. I think my perception of the music business is that um, the music business is in, uh, is in a transition. It's a very difficult transition for musicians in particular um, you know the, I think it's difficult for everybody it's been difficult for independent record labels many have, have gone by the wayside including some of our clients like touch and go but the real brunt I think has fallen on musicians and there's been a, a shift in um, you know where I guess where the money's looking <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the money's looking at tech companies um, but I think often um, the Uh, the individual musician gets um, left out of the equation. You know, that's I think that's a short-term, maybe a short to medium-term problem in the sense that uh, I feel quite strongly that, that once the streaming industry scales, um, and if you look at the economics behind this, um, they bear this out, once the streaming um, ecosystem scales properly, it's going to provide... A, a meaningful income stream, in fact, a better income stream than what exists now. But the question is, is it going to do it for independent artists? And what's going to happen in the meantime? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two really important questions. And I think companies owe it to uh, the creators of music to make mm-hmm. sure that they um, respect that uh, position. I, I'm on the board of a, of a nonprofit called Cash, <coughs> Cash Music. The man that runs that organization, a guy named Jesse Von Doom, I think has a very healthy perspective on running an organization. In his case, he runs a nonprofit. 
running an organization and at the same time making sure that the organization um, you know does what it's supposed to do, which is keep itself going, maximizes profit, but at the same time um, gives back to the ecosystem that sustains it, which is the music ecosystem. And I think it's really important that all digital service providers, no matter what what the product is that they're offering, make sure that they're giving back to the community. And, you know, this isn't always, I mean, that sounds great. It's not always a popular, um, or I should say it's a very popular thing to say, yes, give back to the community. But I really mean it. I think uh, companies need to remember where they come from and what's at the heart of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a challenge right now for independent musicians. I know a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, many indeed. are having a, having a tough time, but um, you know, the ones that I think are, I don't think that's an excuse to not participate in the current digital economy. I don't think mm-hmm. it should be an excuse to not participate. Great, got it. Yeah, and Cash Music is a very interesting uh, project I've been in touch with for... Both of its co-creators, uh, Maggie, I think. Uh, the, and yes, Maggie, Maggie Vale. Yeah. And we may be actually featuring her on the podcast in the nearest future as well. And uh, what you mentioned uh, makes perfect sense. And uh, this is something that is discussed in the music community quite a lot about the tech companies entering and uh, succeeding in the music sphere and not... Uh, giving back, just as you mentioned, to this music community at at, uh, a level that musicians and labels, independents find appropriate. But yeah, it's it's a great thing that you just brought up. Um, Something that is related to to this point and um, talking about uh, different ways to earn money by different income streams for independent artists. I know that you covered this topic on one of your medium presentations, but right now I just uh, wanted to ask you about one particular direction, which is commonly called direct-to-fan. Uh, we just had this conversation also for the podcast with uh, Martin Francona, and uh, he mentioned something that I found interesting, that the direct-to-fan model is not the same as it was a couple of years ago when everyone was talking about going direct-to-fan. And you run an agency which uh, does a lot of direct-to-fan solutions for, for your clients. Uh, so has the approach changed in terms of how you uh, build a fan base, how you monetize it, uh, if it makes sense? Yeah, <clears throat> it, it has changed. Well, actually, I wouldn't say that it's changed. I would say that it's become more important to do it properly. Um, I think it's. I think that the approach that we use is the same one that we've always used. It's gotten a little easier to implement as the tools have improved. You know, um, the various platforms that that we're involved with. Originally, we were a, a solutions provider for Topspin back when Topspin was one of the only games in town. Um, and you know, since that time, we've worked uh, much more extensively with everybody from Kickstarter, where I'm going today, to um, uh, to Pledge Music, to Indiegogo, um, to Patreon, which I think is a, a fascinating um, new platform for um, yeah. And for we artists. interviewed its founder two episodes ago as well. Oh, <laughs> so Jack! Sort of, yeah, great. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's an interesting guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> super interesting. So, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, um, the, I don't know that that 
what's required of an artist has changed, but I think it's become more important that an artist actually do it. So in other words, back in the back in the early days, an artist that put up a direct fan offering um, <clears throat> was able to leverage a, a, a bit of a novelty factor associated with it. Like, oh, how cool, I get to support this artist, you know? And people were experimenting. They were willing to experiment and sort of say, oh, this is kind of a fun idea. You know, let's let's contribute a little bit and let's see, you know, what I get back. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, several years down the road, people are much more jaded. I think fans are... Um, maybe jaded is the wrong word, or maybe that's a little bit of a heavy word, but they're much more suspicious of being asked for money because they really want something meaningful back if they're going to give money. So what we found is that artists that um, really, really communicate in their own voice and really put their own personality into what they do are successful and continue to be successful. The ones that don't are much less likely to be successful. And a great case in point is um, is Freddie Johnston, um, who's a singer-songwriter, um, started in the 90s. He had records on Elektra and Bar None. And we've worked with Freddie through several records, including his most recent Pledge Music offering, which is still going on. I wouldn't say that he has... Um, deluged his fan base with messages. In fact, maybe he's a, um, not done quite as many as he should have, but the ones, the, the communications that he that he's put out are him. Um, you know, he's taken songs that he's recording for a new record, and he's done acoustic versions of them, recorded them. His personality comes through. Um, the notes that he writes are written by him. You sense it in what he writes. Mm-hmm. And that's what people respond to. They respond to that. They respond to the person. And if instead it feels like you've got a band that is maybe just going through the motions, like recently I saw that Weezer had put up a um, a direct fan offering, essentially a pre-order. But I didn't get the sense from looking at it that there was anything really personal to it. Um, I don't know where where it's at at this point, but that to me was a good, a good sort of example of how to do something personal Freddie Johnston and doing something that doesn't feel personal and feels just mm-hmm. sort of like a an advertisement mm-hmm. um, yeah and I say that with with respect to Weezer since I love the band but mm-hmm. but that's just my my uh, opinion yeah it makes sense and and you as an agency you have to make it uh, so it uh, doesn't look like the message is uh, created by the agency not uh, the artist and you need to help the artists to um, to express themselves and to uh, to be personal. So it's uh, a challenge uh, as well. Well, I guess, and uh, from my experience, so it's very important that when you run a campaign for someone, you get the artist involved. Some artists think that a marketing agency does everything for them completely, even the content creation, but it's it doesn't work exactly like that. Will you agree with this point? Yeah. Um... You know, we try to, when we do direct-to-fan or even when we do social media marketing campaigns, <clears throat> there's some spillover here. Um, you know, we, we, we walk a bit of a fine line between um, wanting to make sure that the voice of the artist comes through. And, you know, um, there are, so there are artists who are really good at this and there are artists who really don't get it at all. 
and 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 or don't want to do it at all um and you can tell the difference between the two um you know there are it doesn't mean <clears throat> when i say when i say that you know there needs to be engagement i don't necessarily mean that you know every artist needs to be out there 24/7 on social media i don't think that's important um i mean maybe for some artists it is uh, but maybe not for other artists. Um, you know, it depends on who you want to be as an artist. But I do think that artists need to take the same kind of time and care that they put into making their record when they communicate with their fan base, if mm -hmm. they want to be successful in that space. You know, if they, if an artist's personality does not come through in their social media or their direct-to-fan offering, then you know, you're going to get some subsection of your fan base to buy whatever you put out. Um, but you're not going to get people who are not your super fans. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not even maybe not even all your fans if they feel like you're phoning it in. Mm -hmm. uh, I just feel like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me how many artists profess to want to use social media and... Um, you know, be be if not groundbreaking, at least be um, listened to on social media. But then have absolutely no idea what they want to say, um, and or are not interested in being in in sort of crafting their own messages. I can give you a good example. Mm -hmm. uh, Amy Ray is an artist that we've been working with now for about a year from Indigo Girls, and Amy, at the start of our campaign with her, asked us to sort of help um, help her understand how to communicate I mean, it's not like she doesn't know how to communicate already she's one of the warmest and most lovely human beings on the face of the planet but um on social media she wasn't really um she wasn't really sure what was sort of required of her or, or what what um her fan base might sort of be expecting of her or hoping that she would do um and we helped her understand that and we helped her grow her social media platforms. We helped her grow her social media engagement um, and moved her onto new platforms by assisting her with the heavy lifting. So, for instance, she didn't have a SoundCloud before, mm -hmm. we, before we started with her. And um, Peter Zimmerman, who's my, um, my counterpart and works out of our San, runs our San Francisco office, um, created a a series of different audio diaries, um, which are her talking about individual songs from her most recently released country record, uh, "Good Night Tender." And this, these were these were, you know, it, it was clearly Amy. Um, it was her personality, um, and you know, she really she was thoughtful about what she had to say, and uh, and they were a huge hit. And and she was able to to engage with a new social media audience or new audience through social media that she had not been engaged with before. Mm -hmm. And we look for those kinds of opportunities and love to, love to pursue them um, on behalf of the artists that we work with. But we look for artists who are going to be, who are going to step up and, you know, at least be willing, if not, uh, if not be willing to spend 24-7 on this, at least are going to focus on the things that we ask them to focus on and share their their presence 
um, you know, for uh, for a, you know a period of time that's necessary to sort of um, get these uh, new social media communities off the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think that any artist can be uh, teach these things, and any musician can learn how uh, to do it right on social media, even if a particular artist is not a huge fan of being on Twitter all the time, for example, because there are tools for scheduling posts, for monitoring uh, social media profiles and so on. So you uh, can can come up with a scheme where you as an artist spend just uh, half an hour, an hour maximum, if they do the right things on social media. But uh, obviously it's, it's easier when there is someone who helps you with that. But I think you will agree that Pretty much any artist, even the artist that doesn't quite get it right now, can can learn how to do it and pick a platform that uh, works particularly well for for that uh, project. Because I um, prefer even different kinds of media like video and uh, photos and uh, short messages or blogs, because there are musicians and great examples of musicians who became popular on Instagram or Vine and so on. So, yeah, by the way, speaking of uh, picking different platforms, I, do you look into the audience and their preferences of a particular act, uh, picking what uh, platforms to make accents on, or are you also looking into the preferences of uh, of an artist, what kind of stuff they prefer? Yeah, so that that's a great question. Um, we do look at... Um, we, we do look at... at at the age of the artist, who their who their audience is, um, you know, we we tend to stay away from um, from pop artists, so we're less involved with platforms like that that you know my daughters would be using, like Snapchat or um, uh, or even Vine. Um, we we haven't done a lot of work with those platforms because the in general, I think the artists who are um, in the sweet spot of where we're working, um, are not looking for communities, are not likely to find communities in those places. Now, that's that's a general statement, um, and you know, tomorrow we might sign up a project that's that counter contradicts that statement. <laughs> but um, I'm definitely I'm definitely looking for what I try to do is um, when I start with a new project. And and by the way, I want to say one thing too. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> most artists who are performing artists who are serious at a at a sort of a professional level have managed to you know accumulate a, a substantial portion of the sort of ten thousand hours that um, uh, you know that Malcolm Gladwell refers to in his book The Outliers. Um, <clears throat> ten thousand hours being sort of the level of um, success or the level of commitment needed to be really successful at something. So that's they, they have done that, but many artists don't have anywhere near 10,000 hours uh, with respect to working with social media. I mean, I've been working with social media now since 2007, I guess. So I've accumulated seven years worth of experience in this area. And I don't expect artists to come in and be able to be as knowledgeable about social media as they are about their music. What I hope they can do, and what I hope we can help them do, is communicate what they what their interests are um, using a particular platform or some number of platforms. So we'll look at 
um, we'll look at, you know, what's important to an individual artist that's coming on board with us. You know, what what motivates them? You know, are they are they interested in animals? Are they interested in books? Um, you know, what 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 are they, how do they talk? Are they funny? Are they acerbic? Are they cutting? You know, <laughs> what 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 are their fan? What does their fan base relate to? Mm-hmm. And then we'll look at um, where, if anywhere. They have um, an audience, and this might be a good good opportunity to talk about one of the projects that we've um, sort of one of the long term projects we've been involved mm-hmm. with. Uh, it's a band called MNDR. Um, Amanda Warner and Peter Wade are the two people in that band. So they put out a record two years ago on Ultra, um, and and are no longer on Ultra, but um, they are. That was a, that was a great example of. You know, not a name act, but an act that nobody had ever heard of. Um, learning how to communicate via social media, and that's why I think it's such an important example. Um, you know, it's a reachable example for many of the people in your audience, potentially. So when we started with MNDR, you know, we, we looked at, at where, uh, where they had a following in social media, and um, there was really no Facebook presence to speak of. Um, she, uh, Amanda was communicating on Twitter, but mostly communicating with, um, like li- literally communicating, um, just talking back and forth with, with different people, um, different artists. I think she had about a thousand Twitter followers at the, at the time. And, and really that was it. So we, rather than saying, well, you know, you're missing a Facebook and you're missing a this and you're missing a that and you should have one of these. We said, okay, Twitter's where you're naturally communicating so let's look at platforms that leverage twitter let's look at other communities that tie into one that you're already engaged with and at the time you know they're, they're no longer along now or around now but turntable was um was actually on the rise at that point so we got um amanda um uh, we did a, a number of sort of guest DJ slots for her in different turntable rooms. And we worked directly with turntable on this. And, um, you know, those were, those were really useful in that we were able to not only um, get her to, you know, to actually participate and have the opportunity to chat, which, which she loved, um, but um, we were able to create her own room at one point um, and and you know get a number a large enough number of people to show up there that they would start talking about it. We were able to reach out to sort of uh, you know her limited number of super fans at the time and ask them um, you know these were people who were active on Twitter and had good Twitter followings. We'd ask them if they would help spread the word about this, and if they did, they would get to get up and DJ with her. Um, and you know, this sound, it probably sounds a little dated at this point, but, um, and it was all of two years ago, but at the time it wasn't dated. And so that's what we focused on. And, you know, I think, you know, now we've sort of, um, uh, broadened beyond that and gotten, um, gotten her interested in Instagram. And, um, so we, we focused first on this one platform and then we went to, um, uh, platforms that, made sense for her to grow into so she's an electronic musician um so the next platform we really started taking a look at was soundcloud 
With SoundCloud, um, you know, again, we um, focused on tying this potential new community to her existing community. So, you know, just to reiterate, we didn't take a scattershot approach. We didn't just say, you're missing this, this, and this. Let's build all of these. We just took one at a time. And we um, made sure that Amanda moved with that platform. Actually, I take it back. The, the one we did after after uh, working on her Twitter presence was Soundtracking. And um, we built a huge community at Soundtracking. Um, the reason we were able to build a huge community is because Amanda participated. So, you know, we it was a time commitment from her for sure, but um, it wasn't an undoable time commitment. And the reason it worked for her is because she's uh, she's focused and she's determined mm-hmm. and she's um, disciplined. And it takes those kinds of things. I mean, you you can easily spend your whole day working on social media if you want to. But what what is more effective, we found, is if you schedule certain parts of your day and say, all right, when I get up tomorrow, I'm going to spend an hour on social media. I'm going to go look at the conversations that are happening. I'm going to call out some people. I'm going to reach out um, and and um, I'm going to retweet. And, and um, that's going to... And, that, and that's all I'm going to do on social media tomorrow. I'm not going to do more than that. But you have to be disciplined enough to say, after I get done with that, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write some music or I'm going to go practice. Uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, your music's got to be got to be great, too. You know, it's a one-two punch. It's not just being good on social media and having lousy music. Great, great advice here. So, so you mentioned this thing about scheduling things and being disciplined. Uh, I'm sure that it's very important. I know that it's very important for the recording process itself and for uh, rehearsing and recording so on, especially when you uh, have a day job, for example. Uh, if uh, I'm an artist, for example, I've got some issues with uh, uh, social media and uh, with uh, getting myself uh, work on, on, on communication on a particular network, would you recommend literally putting it in my calendar uh, on like something like SoundCloud from 9 till 10 a.m. on Monday and Facebook from 11 till noon or something like that? Well, um, I don't I don't know that you have to. I mean, it depends on what works for you. I don't know that you have to break it down by network. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, if you <laughs> there's there's a difference between having a band that is really a hobby project and you know i think this is important for any musician to look at you know am i really trying to be you know sure i'd 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 love to be you know i'd love to be successful and famous and be able to tour and but am i really looking to be a hobbyist or am i looking to be a pro and if you're looking to be a pro i think you know being in a band is not so much different from running a company i mean when i do my schedule um every day i you know, I I, have a, I use a calendar. I mark down meetings. I mark down calls that I have to do. I mark down this call. So, you know, I, I set time parameters for what I'm going to do with my day. And I don't see why a musician should be any different than that. I mean, it may not, that may not sound PC or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever, but but I don't care. I mean, that that's, you yeah, know, exactly. do, it, do, it, do it your way then. But, if you're asking for my opinion, yeah, 
I absolutely think you should be organized like that. Um, I think it will work to your benefit. Um, and more importantly, it will let you see progress. It'll let you, um, it'll let you not be consumed or feel like you're going to be consumed by adding something to your schedule that is not you working on music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, a lot of, a lot of musicians are resentful of that. Um, a lot, many are not, many love it, but, um, you know, there's, it's an, it's an equal mix, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. organization is always good. A- another thing that's really interesting, and I read this recently is the way the human mind works. It organizes itself based on the kind of projects in front of it. So your brain, um, and this is, is ever more important today, your brain is sort of capable of either working on a very complicated project, something that you have to focus on, or on working on sort of very short-term images, which is essentially what social media is, you know. Quick response, read this, give a quick response, move on to the next one. It mm-hmm. doesn't, your, your, your brain does not naturally switch quickly or easily between the two. You know, there's a, so you have to be careful. Um, I think some people in particular have to be careful about, um, about not setting time parameters because you can very easily sort of get lost in sort of the short term. It's almost like you get a piece of candy every time you do a social media thing. It it tastes good, so you're like like I want another piece of candy. So you know it's 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 interesting. It's something fun. It makes you think, and then you can put it out of your head. It's different than sitting down and saying I have to write a song this morning. I've got to actually stay focused. I got to think about what I want to say. So I, I do think for some people it's very important to schedule, and I think mm-hmm. more people should try it. Great, great advice. And uh, uh, to also get uh, get back to the idea uh, that's and the concept that you mentioned earlier that an artist, uh, a musical project doesn't have to be on all social networks simultaneously in terms of being very active uh, everywhere. I guess that uh, it's a good idea to reserve uh, an account on every uh, social network uh, you can imagine. In, in my opinion, it's it's a good idea. But uh, what you mentioned that and with uh, this example with MNDR that you were going, uh, not, not jumping on all social networks at once, but exploring uh, one by one and uh, I think it's a very important advice um, what, something that is related to, to this somehow uh, can you name any of the automation tools or uh, just management tools that you've been using uh, maybe in the agency or recommending to artists so it's easier for them to work with social media Sure. So, um, I mean, the the big t- you, we don't use a lot of automation tools. Surprisingly, um, if we were a bigger agency, perhaps we would. Um, you know, the one that that I think is that we use most frequently is probably Hootsuite. Um, that's a that's a great tool for sort of monitoring and overall your over social or your overall social media presence. So we like that. Um, but um, you know, we don't. Um, we don't take on a ton of projects at once. We have in our past. You know, there have been there have been times when we would have 15 or 20 projects on at once back in the, you know, 2004, 2005. But it, we were doing something different then. Back mm-hmm. then, it was it was all about finding great music 
and finding a download and getting that download out to bloggers and they didn't have any other resource so they kept saying more and more and more um, but it's different today you know we're on longer term projects and um, we're not as much focused on you know being able to monitor and manage lots and lots of projects at once so we don't have we don't use as many um, management tools Whoop, sorry I think automation can be really useful. Um, Hootsuite is a great tool for for uh, for doing that. I think there are a number of tools as well that are useful for artists to sort of gauge the performance of their social media networks, especially if they're doing it on their own. Um, Next Big Sound is a great tool for that, and um, one that we uh, that we encourage our, our artists to use. Um, there are a variety of different platforms. Um, I saw a new one called show.co, um, which is sort of allows individual artists to um, create um, campaigns. Yeah, campaigns. And uh, that's exactly right. Uh, campaigns and put them out there and uh, share them on social media and collect email. Um, now, this is the same kind of thing that Cash Music does. Um, so I would certainly <clears throat> suggest to artists that, um, you know, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, maybe something like Reverb Nation is great for you, but maybe something like Cash Music is great for you too. Um, and yeah. you know, that's open source and 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 nonprofit, and and the tools are available free. So yeah, uh, Cash Music know. maybe may may require a little bit of more knowledge in terms of how to set set it up. There are great tutorials and everything, but um, maybe for some artists, maybe a bit more complicated to make it work but i find cash music yeah it's a is a great it's getting great better solution. it's getting better it's 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 that's going to change but but um yeah you're right for right now it's, uh, uh, it's i i've been following now. cash music since yes yeah, since it's launched haven't haven't checked it out in the last uh, two months i think but it's uh -huh. definitely a great tool but uh, i mean if it becomes a bit more friendly towards artists it it will be absolutely like a killer of uh, a ton of different uh, paid <laughs> platforms, in my opinion. I'm really looking forward to this because, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big supporter of, of the project. You can talk to Jesse about that, but um, I just wanted to say one other thing in relation to to social media um, and communicating. You know that the trick to social media is to approach it like a real conversation, like a real engagement. I think a lot of people don't think of it as a real engagement. They think of it, oh, social media is where I'm going to tell people that I have a new record. Um, and, you know, the, a, great, a great parallel would be, um, you know, we, I think this is a, an example that I used um, um, in my medium presentation, but, you know, I, in, in that medium presentation, I walked out in the audience with a CD and I say, um, I pick some poor hapless soul in the audience and I say, um, hey, how are you doing? And, and the person usually says, I'm fine. And I said, I have a CD. And they look at it and they're like, oh, cool. And I say, do you want to buy it? And usually they say something like, well, I don't really know you. I don't really know the music. Yeah, but do you want to buy it? Okay, well, maybe I want to listen to it first. All right, I'll let you listen to it, but then do you want to buy it? You know, so you sort of see the, the way the conversation often develops on social media. A lot of a lot of a lot of bands don't have a sense that it's a dance. You know, that there's a an element of getting to know people, letting them get to know you. Why do they care about your music? Why do they care about you? Why don't you share that? And um, 
you know, or, or it's like going out on a first date, you know, with somebody. You you, you gotta <laughs> you gotta give something first. You know, you gotta give some of yourself. You have to let people know who you are, and it's the same with social media. And um, I see so many bands who don't really grasp that. Mm-hmm. Don't really grasp that social media is a you know it's it's a social network keyword social it's mm-hmm. it's a place for you to communicate with other people and if you don't want to communicate with other people then you know you can create social media platforms all over the place yeah. um and and going back to your point that you made earlier you know it is important to try to to try to communicate with people where they are and that's why we move bands into new into new social networks but if all you're doing is just creating a presence in a million different places, you might grab some people. But I think it's much more important to try to actually build a community, mm-hmm. a meaningful community in a place before taking a scattershot approach. And, and, and even the, uh, uh, the process of selling will be different in this case, I mentioned, because you may just offer what you've got uh, to sell to the already engaged and interested audience and uh, there is a high chance they will want to buy from you to support you. So uh, these, uh, from from cold selling, it turns into just offering people uh, a way to support you. So it's it's just beautiful and uh, it's enjoyable if, if, if it's done right. So, uh, and I really like the illustration. I actually watched that part of uh, your medium presentation and I, I find it a simple, but a very, very smart way of explaining why a musician is uh, doing it wrong on, on, on the social media. It's something that I think I will be mentioning to uh, some artists. Uh, uh, I, I start working with uh, in an accurate way, but it just explains it brilliantly. So yeah, thanks for mentioning it. As as it's oftentimes happens on these uh, podcasts, I've got a ton more questions, and I think we'll have <laughs> to have you again on this show at some point in the future to to cover more. But uh, <laughs> I'd now, love to come back. and thank you, uh, and thank you for the insight so far. Uh, just uh, to wrap it up shortly, do you have any other advice besides the numerous ones that you mentioned so far for an independent artist? Uh, advice. Well, um, if you're interested in what I've said, um, you know, you're welcome to, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm at D H U M as in Mary A N as in Nancy D human or at Toolshed Inc. You can follow us there. Um, we're, um, uh, and I try to share, I try to share information there, observations, ideas, um, some of the things that you might have heard about on this on this podcast today. But I think, um, all right, let me try to summarize. I'll try to give you three points, uh, mm-hmm. maybe highlights from what I said here. Number one, um, a social network is social. You have to communicate. You have to share some of yourself. It doesn't matter if it's weird. I mean, look at what Cat Power does. <laughs> Cat Power... Um, if you look at, she uses more hashtags and at signs and exactly. emojis than anybody, and people love it. They love her Instagram, they love her Twitter, they love her Facebook because it's her. Doesn't matter who you are; it just matters that you share some of who you are. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, and this is sort of a spinoff of the first one: don't forget that it's a dance. That this is a 
It's an opportunity for you to get to know people the same way they get to know you. That may feel overwhelming, but if you have a problem with it being overwhelming, then schedule the time. Um, take take a you know say I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to this, and the reason I'm gonna commit to it is because it's part of my career as an artist, and um, if I'm gonna use it, I'm gonna use it well, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna commit an hour a day or an hour every two days, um, whatever it is. I wouldn't make it much less than an hour every two days um, if you're serious about it. You know, if, if you know, questions happen, I would encourage you to, to respond to them. Don't just leave questions unanswered. You know, no, nothing's, nothing's uh, more deadly for a conversation than when you feel like the person you're trying to talk to is not engaged. So mm-hmm. be willing to engage, but it's not something that you have to do every minute of the day. You don't need to start carrying a smartphone with you everywhere you go and to bed. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, so those are the first two things. And I think the third thing is, um, you know, make sure when you, when you enter a community that you pay attention to that community. Try to, try to use the opportunity um, to show a little bit of yourself and to show off the capabilities of that or the, the opportunities that present themselves in that particular community. So if it's, um, you know, if, you, if you're doing a remix contest, for instance, or you're participating on SoundCloud, you're building a SoundCloud presence, spend some time looking around at um, other people within that community. Don't just create your own profile and have it be an island unto itself. You know, it's a community. There are other people there who are doing interesting work. Don't be afraid to um, to share their work. Don't be afraid to, you know, follow them, to, um, uh, you know, to, to repost or to like or to favorite. Um, you know, those are the, that's how you, that's how you create a community um, mm-hmm. is by showing other people in the community that you're actually paying attention to what um, they're doing and that you see it, and in some cases you're retweeting it. Um, if you're going to retweet also, don't always just retweet without making a comment. I found it's much more successful if you take the minute, the extra little minute, to just put a little bit of your opinion, like, um, great article and I completely agree. Retweet, blah, 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 whatever it is. Even if you have to change theirs and shorten theirs a little bit. Um, or, you know, I don't agree with that particular point, um, uh, you know, and <laughs> as much as you can fit in a Twitter 140 characters. Um, but, but uh, you know, the same on SoundCloud. If you're sharing, you know, or you're favoriting, comment. Take the extra time. If people see that you're engaged somewhere, you're going to get feedback back. But if all you ever do is just post and it's pretty clear that you're never looking at anybody else. It's going to take you that much longer to build up your presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So those are the those are the three recommendations I'd offer, and I can probably give you more next time we do this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, amazing tips, uh, very practical and uh, very important. So I extremely appreciate uh, these tips. 
I'm linking to all your uh, social media profiles and the websites in the show notes, so no worries. Uh, the listener uh, does have a chance to, to find the links back to you. And uh, I, I, I greatly appreciate all the insights and I'm looking forward to uh, have you on the show again because I feel like we haven't covered all the topics that we could <laughs> on this podcast. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, amazing insights, so thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Nice to talk to you, Andrew. Thanks so much for taking the time. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin